But every one of those people had something happen to them that was um, unsettling enough that they felt the need to call a lawyer, right? Like, like that should be significant that someone's experience with the healthcare community, there's, there's a few random people that are just, they're just kind of crazy, but most people are not. Most people are just, man, this, this happened. And I've always thought that there's a lesson in there. Welcome back, everyone. Craig here. Uh, we have Ross Green back with us. Uh, Ross and I did an uh, interview uh, sometime in 2023. I don't remember when that was. Welcome back, Ross. Yeah, thank you. Maybe before we get started, I want to say that is the raddest intro I think I've been a part of. I'm not a part of a lot of intros, but that I've heard. So I, I love it. I love it. I'm pumped. Thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah. Yeah. The intro is uh, so the, the voice you hear is a uh, is a Dominican priest that um, was my logic professor in college. And that was his saying. And I stole that from the internet. So hopefully his family isn't going to go after me, but, uh, uh, and then uh, a buddy of mine uh, did the music. So, um, you know, nice it's collaboration. Fun. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, speaking of uh, father Fabian, who was the priest, um, I um I had a good excuse to to drop his name in a jury trial I had this last week. So I had a jury trial last week up in uh, Winona, Minnesota, which is uh, it's about an hour from here. It's where I went to college. It's where I met my wife. Um, I was actually studying to be a priest. I was in the seminary uh, when I was in college. I met who would become my wife. And uh, I, I I told this story to the jury um, beforehand because the 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 lawyer that was trying the case against me must have like a photographic memory because he he stood up and people that don't know how jury selection works you get a, a, a list of people like a day or two ahead of time but you don't know who they are you know they get called up into the box and I've got my kind of my grid of notes I've got a legal assistant there he just stepped up and he had everyone's name memorized and he could I can't do that. But I, but I told this story. Um, I said, I, this uh, Father Fabian, who was my logic professor in college, he would come to class the first day and he would have the whole class roster memorized and he would go through the list and he knew people. He would, you know, you'd raise your hand and he would forever have your face associated with your name, like forever, like it was never gone. Amazing. And I said, I would. I really wish I had that skill for jury selection. I don't, so bear with me. Um, but it was nice to be able to... It, it's always nice to be able to localize yourself to a jury uh, in that community. And uh, I was telling Ross before we got started that that was my first jury trial. I've had some bench trials, so trials decided by judges. But that was my first jury trial since 2018. And the last one that I tried was a medical malpractice case. That predictably and statistically, I lost because um, 
uh, contrary to what you might hear in the reports, the defense wins the large majority of medical malpractice cases, which are already a very, very slim percentage of medical malpractice claims in the first place. And so uh, that was, it was nice to win one. I won, I got a really nice verdict for my client. Um, but if you if you're going to do medical malpractice litigation, you have to be ready for very hard litigation. And you have to be willing to take losses and, and take a lot of losses. Without a yeah. doubt, without a doubt. I mean, that area, especially in, in Wisconsin, just uh, having uh, a, I mean, a little bit more perspective nationally, just because where I work, we work nationally. It's state by state. I obviously it's even jurisdiction by jurisdiction how hard this can be, and Wisconsin as a whole just tends to be one of the toughest areas. So anyway, just as an outsider, not trying to say anything more than what I am capable of, but just a I, I, a bit more than anecdotal because we work on tons of cases around the nation. Wisconsin's tough, and you, you guys are uh, have a huge uphill battle every single case that relates to personal injury and in doctors generally. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's a nationwide phenomenon for the most part, but Wisconsin, I believe, uh, historically has been um, sort of top of the list or bottom of the list, however you look at it, in terms of been one of the worst states for people that have malpractice claims, and it's best been one of the the best states to practice medicine. And if your if your goal is to avoid having legal claims against you. To the May I steer where, us just yeah. quickly, just for a second, and I, I don't mean to interrupt. I've always wanted to ask this of someone, and maybe your your audience would like it. And so sorry to, to interrupt, but wh why do you think Wisconsin is like that? And where do these, you know, just generally speaking, like why are these states so different? Like why is New York so different than Wisconsin? I mean, there are some obvious answers, but maybe just, you know, why is Wisconsin so tough in this regard? Like, you know, patients want better care for themselves. This is part of the process, but anyway. I don't know exactly um, because, you know, Wisconsin has been a, a traditionally a purple state politically. I mean, generally speaking, and I'll, I'll, I'll offer a caveat here, everything has changed since 2016. Like in many ways, we've seen a reversal uh, in juries, not just in medical malpractice, but in like personal injury work entirely. Um it used to traditionally be that rural and more conservative jurisdictions tended to be favorable for insurance companies, doctors and hospitals, and unfavorable to people bringing the claims. In 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 like in Wisconsin, if you had to bring a, per, a medical malpractice claim, you wanted to bring it in Madison or Green Bay, a you know bigger community, uh, people that are more affluent, more educated, more liberal tended to be better but uh and that i think that is still generally true you know wisconsin has you know basically has green bay milwaukee and madison and then there's a lot of the state that is just pretty sparsely populated more or less conservative i think has probably played a big part of it we've also had um you know some pretty significant uh, tort reform uh, rules in place, although not as bad as some states. So, for example, Montana, which, as you might expect, is a pretty conservative state, 
has a damage cap of, I believe, $250,000 on medical malpractice cases. And I, a buddy of mine recently got, I think, a $6 million verdict. So he actually won. He was one of the few people that won a medical malpractice case, got a $6 million verdict for someone that was catastrophically injured. It was reduced down to $250,000, and then they're, they're going to appeal and challenge that. We've had we've had damage caps in Wisconsin on medical malpractice for many years, and they've they've been challenged successfully in the past. Um, the current cap that we have is seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for non-economic damages, um, and was recently well, I wouldn't say recently within the last six seven years was challenged. Let me tell you, let me let me let me tell you about a story and and sort of how unjust damage caps are. So. It was, I think the plaintiff's last name was Mayo. If I think of it, I'll link to that case below. But it was a woman in her 40s, mother, a couple small kids. I think she was a nurse, developed sepsis or something like that and, and started having clotting throughout her body and literally had both legs and both arms amputated. <clears throat> like like most catastrophic injury you could possibly think of. Um and I believe the jury awarded her something like $15 million, which I think is too little, but $15 million and in, in a significant portion of that, let's say maybe $6 million was for economic damages like future medical care and things like that. That is not subject to the cap, but everything else was cut down to $750,000 and the lawyers that brought that claim, challenged that to the Court of Appeals, said that's just unconstitutional. Like, this is just grossly unconstitutional to restrict someone in that situation to $750,000 for that kind of pain, suffering, and disability. Court of Appeals agreed. Supreme Court, which is very conservative at the time, uh, disagreed and upheld the law as constitutional. It's the law of the land. Uh, I will never have a case that will be more just warranting damages above $750,000 in that one. So that law is not going anywhere and there's almost no motivation within the state to change that. Um, the lobbyists is, you know, strongly support these and other tort reform elements. So there's all kinds of procedural and substantive and damage cap things that um, affect that give a give an advantage, I think, to 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 insurance companies for the hospitals that they didn't really need. I mean, they already have a, an advantage because most people psychologically and understandably trust doctors. Want you know they're putting their life in their hands and are very very willing to give the every benefit of the doubt if there's some plausible explanation for why they did something or didn't do something. Juries are just very prone. To giving them that benefit of the doubt and most juries don't like lawyers and so it tends to be a you know a one-sided affair now again that's all changed a little bit since even 2000 and covid and all that people have very different perspectives about the healthcare system than they did and so that some of this may be old information i don't know i haven't had a i haven't had a medical malpractice jury trial since before covid no, I think, uh, again, with our ex experience in Wisconsin and, and all the cases we work on, I, 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 it seems the same to me. What, what occurs to me, and it, it's just such a, 
an interesting field. It, you know, I think an honest debate and an ethical debate about the whole issue is is always warranted. But then people, you know, obviously get held in their their beliefs and like, oh, the system's all flawed. Okay, but let's just say like, you know, the system isn't completely flawed. People have thought about this. There have been debates because that's all true. The thing that kind of gets daunting to me with economic uh, damage uh, caps, which in theory, and, and as from my doctor had, I, I, you know, I, I get it to a certain extent. But when you really think about it, if we're saying, well, we're trying to have a system where people uh, who of no fault of their own got injured, and we're trying to protect them and, and try to dissuade poor behavior is also, you know, the, the you know, there's both at the same time, clearly. Um, do the hospitals start billing less when the economic damages go above 250k? No, we, we know that they're still billing you for the IV bags. They're billing you for the Medicaid, you know, everything, and they bill tons of, for tons. So it, that always becomes interesting to me. Like if you're really thinking about where we're trying to all head, when you really think about it, why would economic damages be the cat's one? Those are the ones that the patients really truly have. I mean, no, no real. Uh, control over just and, and not being able to work. That's really not their control. And obviously we could debate, is this patient malingering or not? Most patients are not, by the way, lying about their fact that they can't do their job, even if it's a computer job. But anyway, that, that those are my thoughts on it. Just as, again, a, maybe a bit of an outsider, but it just, <laughs> the logic seems to break down pretty quickly to me. I had a, uh, that last trial I had, um, I had a cardiothoracic surgeon out of St. Louis. Uh, she was my expert and she had practiced for, for quite a few years in Canada. Um, and she talked about what, what she thinks is a much better system in Canada where they, this is probably not the best analogy, but it sounded a little more like, like the vaccine court thing. Hmm. I love and, the vaccine court. Yeah, and and she she said they really handle medical injury cases much less about liability and more about can we provide some system of relief for people that have had their lives turned upside down by bad outcomes whether it's caused by negligence or not. And so she thought that was a she said that's a system that patients and doctors like better because I think most doctors I, I have yet to meet a doctor that I thought was maliciously motivated. I think they're all well motivated, but we make mistakes. Maybe it's a maybe it's a forgivable mistake or not, but most I don't think most doctors necessarily like the system where they're in this adversarial relationship with a patient that they cared about and is, you know, seriously injured because things didn't go the way that the doctor or the patient wanted would like to help those people, but the system doesn't allow that. I think a lot of doctors would rather some of the money that's the enormous amount of money that's spent litigating these cases would go to their patients, but they're not given that option either. The, the Canadian system um, sort of cuts through all that and, and just provides a more, um, I would say, an equitable distribution of funds, whereas here in, here in the States, all that money goes to litigation and lobbyists for the most part, and none of it benefits the doctor and none of it benefits patients yeah and in a very very simple sense i think it exemplifies america versus canada like in a nutshell just like who we are like the ethos of america versus canada and there's some amazing things about canada and there are amazing things about america let's not 
yeah. hate on this amazing country we're in. You know, I'm not maybe not the most patriotic guy, but I, I we live in an amazing, amazing place. So definitely don't want to discount that. But yeah, the Canadian system is different, and and their healthcare system is very different. It's it's uh it's not privatized. It's centralized. There's it's essentially a single payer. But for rich people, they usually come to America anyway, because it's faster care. They have their own insurance. It's similar to the UK with their NHS. Anyway, we don't have to go into that. I'm just, my wife has just took a course at the London School of Economics. So, you know, it's, it's all going through my head, but it, it really kind of exemplifies sort of the differences between our country. But I think the vaccine court example really resonates with me. And, uh, you know, I guess just to say, hey, maybe there's a viewer out there who has no idea what we're talking about. I, I think it's just yeah. brilliant. And, and your perspective on it's going to be probably much more robust. Mine is just sort of as like a doctor, you know, I, I don't want to get into a political realm, but I really don't think getting vaccinated in my mind is all that political. So I'm sorry for any viewers who, who this offends. That's not my, my intention. But vaccinations are essential. The right vaccinations, which are the ones that are, I think, recommended by pediatricians and then in adults, the, the certain ones like the shingles one, uh, the pneumonia one could be life saving. And there are these infectious diseases like measles, mumps. I when I was I, I trained at Mount Sinai in New York City. And, uh, you know, there are certain communities, uh, a lot in Brooklyn, uh, to be honest, that weren't vaccinating. And we would see a lot of mumps and measles. Seeing this stuff come back is devastating. These patients, kids, you know, anyway. Okay. So we ident- uh, let's just get in my mind, you know, the vaccines uh, on a public health level are really important. And everyone taking them is really important for it working when people start you know, not taking it. It does affect others and it can. So anyway, the idea being that these vaccines, though, do have inherent risks and it's incredibly, mm-hmm. incredibly small risk. But people could get Guillain-Barre syndrome, which can cause paralysis. You can have an anaphylactic shock. You can die from a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Exceptionally rare. The numbers are like crazy, mm-hmm. but it can happen. And so the federal government, you can't out of one side say we recommend these and out of the other say, well, you're on your own when something goes wrong. And, you know, that that system to me maybe not being perfect, nothing's perfect, but having a special master and having a fund, which is basically saying you make a legitimate, reasonable argument and in good faith present it to the special master, we're going to pay your your client. It's very similar to the 9-11 victim compensation yep. fund in some ways, uh, which we actually are working on a lot of those cases now in New York. We, we just signed on a new client uh, that we're working on these cases. So that, that's kind of front of mind. Anyway, not to derail us here, but you know, these ideas, um, you know, it, it's a bit of socialism in its own way, kind of combining and pooling risk, but more at the government level instead of the risk pool being within the insurance companies, which inherently don't want to pay. Maybe our government has more of a heart because it's not coming from their CEO's budget. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, there isn't that in, in public service. So anyway, I, I think it's a it's a great thought process. And I wonder how that would work more large scale and how your colleagues would even like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, and coming back to Wisconsin, you know, what's interesting about Wisconsin is, so we have this fund system, um, patient victim compensation fund. I'm probably getting the name wrong, but we always call it the fund. And it's an interesting thing that I think was started with good intentions, but serves almost the exact, has almost the, the exact unintended effect, but let me let me explain it to you. So in Wisconsin, doctors and hospitals, in conjunction with the seven hundred fifty thousand dollar cap on non economic damages, are rec- well. Let's see, 
are are permitted to participate in the fund, which is sort of like an excess insurance carrier. If they carry, they carry a million dollars of liability coverage. So that's all they have to carry. Uh, that may sound like a lot, but that's not a lot of insurance coverage. So if you, if you uh, have liability malpractice insurance of a million dollars, and then you pay monthly or quarterly into this fund, then any, if you are, hit with a malpractice claim and are owed damages over a million dollars, this fund um, will pay the rest is, is how it works, subject to the cap, of course. So it's really for economic losses. Like let's say someone's going to have a lifetime of nursing home care and stuff like that. But that's sort of the trade-off is the idea that, you know, you have this fund and it, and it means that Hospitals, insurance companies, you know, hospitals don't all have to have a $25 million liability thing for some catastrophic malpractice claim. They have a million dollars. And then you have this fund that they all pay into <clears throat> with the idea that the fund would pay out those, you know, extraordinarily catastrophic injury cases. But what because there's so very few claims paid, this fund is billowed. It's like a, I don't know if it's a million or two or a million, a billion or two billion dollar fund that is just, and it's accruing interest. Like there's been talk at, at one point, there was a controversy because the legislature went in and actually took money from that fund to pay for a road project or something like that. But you have this huge sum of money to such that when COVID happened, they had so much money that they just dispensed with the quarterly payments that doctors pay into. Um, so you have this huge fund that doctors are paying into and hospitals are paying into that basically doesn't get used. It, it can't pay out nearly as quickly as money is coming in. And, and that would be, you know, I think a lot of, there'd be a lot of support on hospital and patient side to say, why don't we use that money for actually helping patients? Right. Even if even if it was excusable neglect, you know, you know, let's say the doctor did everything possible, but the person had their leg amputated anyway. Well, why do why can't we just use that? Whether whether the doctor was negligent or not, this person is going to spend the rest of their life with one leg. Why can't we use that money to help that person rather than using that money to hire lawyers to make sure that person never recovers covers a penny? Because that's how the money is used now. It doesn't help mm -hmm. anybody. But the you know insurance companies and the hospitals and stuff like that. So you know I don't know if any states have done that, um, but that would that would be a far superior uh, substitute what we have now because what you have now is you know there's a I saw a list the other day. I think there's maybe a dozen lawyers or less in Wisconsin that will actually take medical malpractice cases. That's not a lot. I mean, no. there, there's a dozen in uh, one block in New York City. Probably. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, if you have a medical malpractice case in Wisconsin, there's a decent chance that I've talked to you, not because I'm anything great, but I'm I'm one of the few lawyers that will that will talk to people about these. Most of them I can't take for, for one reason or another, but it um, I, I, I don't I mean, I like doing the work. I think it serves a public service, but it is a it is a um, it is a cross. I guess is the best way I could describe it to do this. Yeah. That I wish I wish there was a better system in place for people so that I didn't have to go through that 
people didn't constantly just get left turned away without any relief because the system doesn't allow it. Yeah, w- without a doubt. And yeah, I, I th- these are the types of conversations that are, are productive uh, around it. You, you can tell in, in speaking with you, Craig, not even that I know you and such a good guy and you're a family man. Uh, but also just in, in hearing your perspective when it comes back to the patient and better patient care, I think that's really where the the empathy in you and, and where others would be just so better served. Like, look, we're all patients at one way or another, and there's always a potential for something to happen. And yes, to vilify doctors is probably not the best thing. It, it's not going to probably end up all that great because my doctors have a lot of money. They have their own great lobby or great. They have a strong lobby. I'm not going to say great. The American Medical Association, they have all their stuff too. So, you know, you definitely don't want to piss off that stakeholder uh, uh, there, but there's such a better potential for a system that we all just sit down and be like, okay, how do we help injured people who are in a really compromised situation and many times can't advocate for themselves. How do we do that? Isn't that like the, the Hippocratic Oath? There's something somewhere in, in everything that doctors, lawyers, people, any professional really takes, whether physically or you know, indirectly, mentally, like, okay, this is my professional duty to my, my, you know, my clients, my patients. Uh, but that would be such a better system. I'm rambling a bit here, but it, it, it just, everything you said really resonates so well in, the, in a thought process of you know, how, what are we all aiming for? better patient care, better yeah. outcomes. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, and I think that, uh, you know, I think that, so one of the things that I've thought about for a while that uh, I've kind of, I'm starting to incorporate a little bit, but, you know, I hear, you know, for, for a hundred people that call me about a medical malpractice claim, I'm going to be turning away 99 of them for one reason or another. Like either I can't win your case, the damages aren't high enough, whatever the case may be. But every one of those people had something happen to them that was um, unsettling enough that they felt the need to call a lawyer, right? Like like that should be significant that someone's experience with the healthcare community, there's, there's a few random people that are just, they're just kind of crazy, but most people are not. Most people are just, man, this, this happened. And I've always thought that there's a lesson in there because I believe, you know, if if something happened, even if it was not negligence that it happened, there's a lesson there. There may be a piece of information that the next emergency room doctor be like, Oh, I should, I remember hearing about this situation where this person had this constellation of symptoms. This was unusual. Turns out it was sepsis or whatever. Um, That all those people have a story that I believe every doctor can and should hear and would benefit from and it would improve patient care. But those stories never get told. Um, and, and, and the stories, in the, and on the flip side, the hospitals have those stories too. You have the whole peer review process. So people that don't know what the peer review is, is, you know, if there's a, and you probably know it better than I do, but let me give you, I'll give you my basic understanding and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, if you have sort of a bad outcome, there's a system in place that provides a confidential environment for doctors and and, and nurses and everyone to honestly talk about what happened, to see if we can, you know, do we need to change a system? Is there something we can learn from this? To talk freely about exactly what happened, 
and learn from it and improve the care without being afraid that uh, old lawyer Craig is going to, you know, get access to this and we're going to have confessed to the crime, so to speak. So there's this confidential process, but because of that, what they learn from it, you know, may get incorporated within the system, but doesn't really get disseminated outside that, which I think is unfortunate. And it's, and it's created by the dynamics of the, of the litigation process itself that both neither side is incentivized or some side just outright discouraged from sharing information that might, might make a difference in someone else down the road that's in that same situation and maybe provides a better outcome. Oh yeah. No, I, I, you, you nailed it from start to finish kind of going deeper into the idea is, you know, of having a, a confidential, uh, system is clearly in, in theory, a good one, but what it, it does end up doing is a lot of, uh, sweeping under the rug. Um, you know, doctors at first, they, and I've been in, I've been both on the inside and the outside, uh, you know, as a resident, I remember many morbidity and mortality, the M&M conference is really one such strategy where we sit down and, and, you know, it's, it serves a great purpose and the way it generally in, in, let's just say the perfect sense, instead of the finger pointing sense, you know, the attending physicians who've been doing it 10, 20, 30, 40 years, in some cases, 50 years is uh, even I have been attending there. Um, you know, it's say, and, and kind of frame it in the sense of like, oh, residents, you should be learning this, but it's also like a lesson to everyone else in the room who's been doing it and another reminder, but you don't call out the old guard and that that's respectful. Like, you know, they've been doing it a while and you talk to me as an, you know, whatever your resident I was at that time in this hypothetical situation, say, Ross, this is what we should have done, you know, the Royal We, and, and you try to learn from it. Now, the, the reality of it is it's a lot more finger pointing and, you know, there, there's a lot of different behavior there, but if M&M really did what it was supposed to, there'd be more transparency in the process and patients would be involved in the process, their perspectives. We never asked that I can recall a single time it, maybe it's because the patient ended up dying or something really bad happened, but you know, it's usually not the case. It's usually like we did a thyroidectomy, let's say, and we, we hit the recurrent laryngeal nerve. Again, I don't think usually in general, that would be a, a viable medical malpractice claim, but there's something to be learned about why we nicked it. What's the anatomy? great refreshers we can have and also understanding the patient's perspective how has your life changed it's not to like berate yourself but it's also when you're operating to say these are real people underneath the sheets and this person was a salesperson and now can't call people you know they their voice isn't working the same or you know this is the obvious example at 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 Sinai, where I trained, we, what we call the professional voice, we had opera singers, you know, they weren't coming to me, they're coming to my attendings who are world renowned doctors, and I happened to participate in their care and hopefully had a positive impact there. Um, that was the obvious, like, you know, we could screw yeah. that up. But think about the, the Joe who works uh, as a garbage disposal, you know, in, in that, you know, they, you need to communicate with other people and understanding the patient perspective. I think grounds doctors as well. And uh, I know that kind of went off into a different perspective, but, you know, I think from a medical, uh, from a medical perspective here, we do just such a poor job because yeah, we're, we're kind of, not kind of, we're, we're, we're taught in, in whether direct terms or not to be fearful of attorneys, to be fearful of a, a, uh, patients who turn on you, who might then become litigious or whatever it is. And then, you know, on the instances where something, even if it never escalated in any way, 
where there was a bad outcome and I happen to have my name on the chart or what, whatever my involvement was. And I, I have a few examples in my head. I'm not going to necessarily share them. You know, they were, you know, long times ago and whatnot, but um, you know, the, the risk uh, management then calls you. I don't even know who they are. They get my cell phone and I'm a resident running around attending, running around, you know, as, as my attendings were saying, what happened? What, what's going on here? Oh, if anyone contacts you, you know, this is you, you send them to me, you know, I got your back. Maybe that's true. They had my back. I, but I had my doubts <laughs> who they were looking after and certainly not looking after the patients if, if we're really getting down to it. So that's a little bit of the inside scoop. And then the outside scoop, understanding, you know, where I, attorneys are not taking frivolous lawsuits. They would go out of business if they did, you know, all that stuff and understanding the outside perspective. There's just such a better way of communicating and keeping the patient at the center, I think is the easiest way for me to understand it. Yeah. It's, um, when when I hear the term frivolous lawsuit uh, <laughs> used in medical malpractice context, I always laugh because, I mean, like you said, like maybe somewhere, maybe in New York or California, but I don't even think there, like there's no lawyer that takes these cases unless they, they believe they have something. And, and I'm, I'm probably a little, but you know, I take this seriously. You know, I know that when I file a lawsuit, against someone what i don't do what i think people do which is name every doctor on the uh, that's on the medical record that was in the operating room i don't do that um sometimes if you get the case really close to statute limitations you have no choice but i don't like doing that because i i know how frightening it is you know i know i can imagine how frightening it would be to have your name in a lawsuit when you did nothing wrong um so i vet my cases um uh, a lot. Like I have a case going on right now. Uh, I've had three different experts look at it, and uh, and they've been supportive of the case. But I just I want to find out as soon as possible what am I missing? Is there a defense here? What what you know? How good is the case? Because I I don't like filing suit on a doctor unless I have very strong confidence that there's that there's a meritorious case here because I think I owe that I think. I think doctors deserve that kind of treatment, but you know, it, most lawyers that do this, I, and I would almost say all lawyers that do this are very careful and conscientious about it. If for no other reason than their own self-preservation, like you said, you, you spend your own money and you spend a lot of your own time doing these cases. It doesn't help you if you file a lawsuit that you're going to invariably lose anyway. So uh, to the to the extent that there's people out there that's still living under this this assumption that ambulance chasing lawyers are just willy nilly filing lawsuits against doctors, I don't know if that was ever the case, but it's definitely not the case now, and it becomes less the case every year. And so, you know, I work very hard, um, and I get uh, I get referrals. TikTok, strangest thing. You would not guess how many people go on to TikTok to find answers to the medical malpractice questions. I don't know why it is, but it's amazing. And it's also really nice to hear. Uh, I'd love to hear some more. You know, it's great that it's easily accessible. People, everyone's on TikTok, you know. <laughs> I get I get more contacts from people around the country asking me about their medical malpractice case from TikTok than any other form or platform, like hmm. easily. Hmm. Um, and, and so, but, you know, if I get a call about someone that's in Kentucky or whatever, number one, I can't 
I can't take their case unless I associate with another lawyer who can admit me there. Um, so I had to find a lawyer and, and usually it's better for the patient if I could have their records reviewed by someone, a doctor who can say, yes, in fact, there's a case here because, you know, the few lawyer, it's the same in every state. There's a few lawyers that do it. And, and, and it's much easier to look at a case where a doctor has already looked at it and said, I think there's a case here versus, Hey, here's this person. You want to look at the records, find an expert and then find out if there's, there's a case or not. So this is why really the most important function in this whole process is having doctors and experts. I guess this is a nice segue for you, but that can do an initial case evaluation um, for, for lawyers and patients to find out if there's something there or not. And if there's not, maybe provide some closure for them. But that's the hardest part about this is finding a way that you can, someone can come in because I'm not a doctor. I can figure some things out, but at the end of the day, I tell them, look, there may be a case or may not. I don't know unless a doctor looks at the records and says there's a case and they're going to charge us to do it. And they may very well say there's no case here. Are you willing to to spend that money? Most people mm -hmm. can't. Most people can't spend $750 and that's really on the cheap end. I mean, it can be anywhere from $750 to a couple thousand to $5,000 to have a doctor review the records with enough detail to know whether there's something there or not. And most people who have been harmed aren't in a position to shell out a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars to find out that they didn't have a case anyway. That's really the pain point, I think, for most of these these people. Mm. Yeah, without a doubt. And I, I think, and now having this insider-outsider perspective, myself as a medical legal doctor, whatever you want to call me, um, we, we had a, a long story short, uh, a sales summit, a kind of company-wide summit, the Expert Institute, we went to Atlantic City, which, uh, you know, it was off season, it cold, but it, we really took over the, the hotel, it was kind of fun. Um, and we we had a, an attorney uh, from Salt Mongaluzzi, which is a, a bigger firm in Philadelphia because it, it's so close to Philly to AC. And she's she's a younger attorney. She's probably my age, whatever, whatever that is, uh, but very hungry and a great attorney. And she cares a lot. But every you know, I think every attorney that I speak to and that we work with really actually falls into that. But anyway, she was telling us someone asked her amongst many questions, you know, is a summit and we're trying to pick her brain about how do we position ourselves better in front of your peers who haven't worked with us? But we also asked her kind of what's your process to work up a simple claim. She's like, first, we review it in house ourselves through and through. And, and, you know, her, uh, even though she's on the younger side, it, it, you know, she's been doing this for, for years, has a ton of experience reviewing these, her, her boss, her boss, about you know, all that know how to review these cases better than any doctor out there. But, you know, just to put that out there. So that's layer one. The layer even before that is that they have an intake team that screens it with people who have really uh, knows what could be something could not be, but not really medical background that even got it to her, which is one of the lead attorneys. So even to get there is like a pretty big step. They review it in house. And if it's not viable for whatever criteria they have, you know, there are many, um, then they, they respectfully decline and, and try to give that patient time to go to, go to someone else if they want to. But if they say, hey, this is a good one. This is where we come in. Uh, they'll send us the case, we'll review it, and we roundtable it. She said that even if we give her a no, and she even said, and I take it for whatever it's worth, maybe she, I mean, they work with, they've been working with us for years. So I would like to say they, they do like us and that this was the honest truth. She's like, I 
trust you guys through and through because you'll have four or five doctors reviewing my case for me. But even if you guys give me a no, I will go to two other doctors outside of your system and no offense to you. And, I, and it wasn't offense taken to confirm. And she said, look, at this point, we've never really gone past that. But at the same time, now she's paying us uh, our and they're under a bigger contract. So it's not too much to work with us. It's very affordable and it works for them. Yeah, that aside, go to us where we have sometimes four of our doctors reviewing it and then go to multiple doctors after just before rejecting case. Now that's overkill. I, I can't, you know, not most people wouldn't do that, but that was her process. And so for people out there, whoever it is being like, oh, I don't know how hard they work up my case. I sent it to an attorney. It's always pretty similar to that process in some way or another. The end result being like a lot of thought time, which is money. A lot of money goes into this just to even say to you, I'm really sorry, we can't help you, but here are the reasons why this is the outcome. And, you know, at that point, Craig, you know how those conversations go. You're, you're giving them the the bad news a second time, which probably hurt even more and giving them the honest truth instead of the doctor sort of saying, oh, nothing, don't talk. You know, you're really saying, you know, in fairness, even though the doctor was an a-hole to you and he didn't communicate correctly, they did do all the right things, you know, and that's hard for patients here, but a lot goes into it and I can't say it enough, you know, that that, that was a huge education to me uh, just in the six and a half years I've been in this space, which isn't very long, that these cases are, you know, a lot of thought goes into them. It's, it, you know, an attorney who comes up and it seems like he or she's not prepared is probably playing a fast one on you. So just be prepared for that. These people, you included, Craig, you know your cases very well and work them up incredibly diligently. So credit to you and your community. Yeah, I mean, it's that's all absolutely true. Um, and, you know, and so what it what it means is is if you're going to be an attorney and you're going to do these cases at all, you have to go through this you have to have this intake screening process because I literally could not spend a half hour, an hour on the phone with every person that calls about it. Cause I would never get anything else done. And so your option is either to, do I find a more efficient way to sift out the ones that, that I can help or do I just not do it at all? And that's what happens for most lawyers is like, I'm not going to bother with these at all. Um, so I have a similar system. So people that come to me, um, you know, they may have an initial call or if they, you know, if they find me on TikTok or something like that, I'll have a brief call and I'll say, okay, here's the system we go through. Here's a phase you go through and you answer a bunch of questions, upload documents. We review that. It, depending on that, we will either slightly decline or say, okay, we have, let's go to another level. And then you go through kind of a, a more rigorous set of questions, more information and details depending on the result of that, if, if everything's positive, then I say, okay, here's what we need to do next. We need to have the expert institute or someone else actually look at the records and, and spend some money on that. That's the only way that I have found that uh, I can, you know, people can, can bring their claims to me and have them at least considered. Um, otherwise, the option is I just stop doing this entirely, which... I always say I'm one I'm one more medical malpractice case loss away from never doing it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you you I don't know if it's humble or whatnot, but uh, I think you're you're too nice a guy and too hungry to have that ever be the case. But I I understand the sentiment. Uh, I think between my my perspective and and your 
real life uh, workups of these cases, I, I think anyone could look in and say, wow, this is a taxing process for attorneys and not easy. And a lot of hard work, time and empathy needs to go into your work. And that doesn't come at uh, no cost to you emotionally and, and to your business. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, if, if you have a case, um, you know, it's like a marriage. Like when you take one of these on, you are forming a very, very close relationship with, with the the people that you represent. Not that you don't with what I would say more run of the mill cases, auto accidents and things like that. But you really are, you are in a war together. I hate to say that, but you are, and you are. And, and so people have to, the people that you're, you're going to give a significant part of your life and attention to your case as a lawyer. And you need to know that the people that you're represented, representing are fully invested themselves because not everyone is. Um, there's nothing more difficult than, than caring about your client's case more than they do. Hmm. So, so part of the process and part of why I kind of go through that screening process is to find out are people are people motivated enough to actually go through this process or do they give up? Because if they can't make it through that initial process, it's sort of like a mini boot camp. They're probably not really going to be able to go the long road to pr pursuing one of these cases. Because one of the things I tell every one of the people when they come in the door, I says, you, when I take one of these cases on, I take it with the assumption that I'm going to have to try this in front of a jury someday. I mean, that's statistically true, but also from a from a mindset standpoint, I never take one of these cases with the with the hope and expectation that the case will settle. Now, if it does, great. I, I allow myself to be surprised. But I take this knowing that when I take on this case, I'm going to be sitting in front of a jury somewhere representing this person under these facts. And um, that's a that's a big undertaking uh, for the lawyer and, and people that that they represent need to be be on board for that. And I think I think it's easy uh, for people not to understand the level of of investment that people that lawyers make into these cases, both in the litigation process itself, as well as trial. Like I said, I just finished a three day jury trial, which was far more simple than any medical malpractice case. But for a week and a half, I was all my time and attention was devoted to that. I was here in my office until 12, 1, 2 in the morning a few times, up at 4, getting ready to go to trial. You know, that's on a three-day trial. Most medical malpractice cases are at a minimum a week, two weeks. It's uh, It takes a team of people, and it takes, it takes it a tremendous amount of uh, energy to get through that process. So it, it is, uh, it's, it's, I enjoy the work. Like it is, it is satisfying work, but it is a, it is a very heavy yoke and there are far more easy, far easier ways to make a living with the same skill set and the same staff than, than doing medical malpractice. That's just the reality of it. No doubt, no doubt. Hey, now you're now you're making me think maybe you should retire from MedMal, but you're you're you love it too much. I could just I could just see it, and and the the your ability to help patients is uh well I I don't want to you know belittle any other case. You know you you help people in with every one of your cases. The MedMal cases those seem like 
it might be making a, a grander stand against behavior and, and practices in all the best kind of ways to improve uh, care, just not for this, you know, the, this patient's life, but everyone else's in the community. I think that might be also a big difference is like, the, what's the impact? Uh, you know, an MVA with catastrophic damages, horrible for that family. They deserve everything. But like to the grander community, yeah, no one wants to get in accidents and all that. But like, really, what's the implication mm -hmm. versus, you know, a systemic change in how we practice medicine or become safer? I mean, that that is in, in many senses a, a, a different but larger uh, uh, impact you know, across our, our society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, when I take these, you know, when someone approaches me about one of these cases, I know realistically that if i turn down their case they're never going to find a lawyer like i right. am their only hope so to speak again that's nothing doesn't say anything about me other than i i do this work but so you know when i when i turn most people down it's hard because i know that they're they're not going to find someone else that takes right. their case right um if you know some comes in with a with an injury case that maybe i maybe i'm skeptical that we can win it or maybe their personality is such that i just i, I won't jive with this person they're going to go out they're going to find someone else that may very well be able to do a much better job than me medical malpractice cases um every person i talk to is pretty much like thank you know you're the first lawyer that would even talk to me about my case and and that's um uh the it's a heavy um it's yep. a responsibility I that I that I think about a lot, and it's why I do this. It's why I, you know, happy to have you on and talk about this and and bring attention to this. If if for no other reason than, you know, kind of coming back to politics, like it does matter. Like like um, ballot initiatives and politicians on tort reform. I mean, there is <clears throat> down in Iowa, for example, where I practice as well. Um, I know there was some recent efforts, unsuccessful so far, to impose a whole bunch of new rules that were very much defense-oriented. Uh, they recently passed a damage cap on medical malpractice cases in Iowa. And, um, you know, being educated on this does matter when you go to the polls and, you know, maybe you're, you're, maybe there's some sort of a referendum on a damage cap or something like that. These things do matter and people people need to understand that a lot of what you hear about medical malpractice and frivolous lawsuits and runaway juries and things like that are are not just not very true, not very accurate. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't say it better myself. So anyway, well, um, I know we kind of glossed over uh quickly uh what you do and we talked about a little bit at our last interview but before we do wrap up i do want to i want to hone in on you specifically so why don't you tell us a little bit about your background uh generally and more specifically what you do at the expert institute what the expert institute does for people that don't know what that is and, and we'll kind of wrap up yeah absolutely yeah expert institute and i for anyone interested, uh, would love to speak more one-on-one. -on -one. We we really customize what we do to the folks we work with. So I could speak in some generalities, but basically the general ideas of what we do, we could find you an expert in any field, medical or non-medical, and they become your expert at the end. You're not 
paying us throughout that process. You just pay us, you know, in one model, just up front, and we can help you different ways that we could do that. We can review records for you. We kind of alluded to that. We have 70 doctors. It's almost, I think it's 74 now in over 40 unique specialties that are on my team that are consulting doctors to work up cases. Great for med mal, but also personal injury that it really catastrophic where you're having questions on causation and even a damages model before you, you, you start working it up, going to treaters, start spending more time. We can uh, curate literature and apply it to case theories have some wonderful examples of those. I'd love to share if anyone's interested in due diligence on opposing experts. I could talk people's ear off. We've done webinars, 30 minutes. It's one of the coolest products. I'll throw out the term AI. We were using AI probably before it was a term that people were very you know, loosely using now to aggregate tons of information on experts on the opposing side, just to understand their perspectives, their publications, areas of biases. We found crazy things like they were you know, testifying for Dupuy and they got a grant the year before for about a million dollars to their lab. You know, stuff like that is what we're working up there um, just to, to show biases in, in, in folks and, and uh, their testimony. And we could do medical chronologies as well. That That's using artificial intelligence. Um, yeah, the world of AI is potentially daunting, but this these applications of AI are not like the generative ones of like, Robert De Niro saying he loves Expert Institute, though he's never said that, and I am not claiming that. But we all know that deep fakes, that's not not at all what I'm talking about. This AI is not generative. It's, it's a different form of it where uh, a PHI uh, or you know, private personal health information is, is protected, but we can do all these services using our proprietary technology. So just a little pitch there, but probably much better just one-on-one -on -one to chat if anyone's interested. And, and I really appreciate the platform. I, I do this because uh, it's so much fun talking to you, Craig. Uh, but it, I appreciate the plug as well. Yeah, and I, I, I'd, I'd like to ask you just a follow-up question then on the on the AI stuff, because like literally yesterday, I was sitting in my office with my paralegal, and we were talking about it because we have, I think there's 10,000 pages of records mm. so far, and there's more coming in. And for people that don't know, typically we summarize those records because... I am not going to read 10,000 pages of records, nor am I going to remember all of it. And so what we usually do is we do a chronology or a summary that right. kind of has a short summary, as the name suggests, of each record. Um, but just summarizing the records is no small feat. For her to humanly sit down and do 10,000 records, <laughs> she was not thrilled <laughs> to, let's just say that, nor was I thrilled to have her spending so much time doing that. Right. And so um, why don't you tell me if you can kind of in that situation, what can what the process you have with or without AI help the lawyer who's like, look, to 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 work up this case or to figure out this case, I got to find a way to to efficiently manage 10,000 pages of records. I can't I can't spend ten thousand dollars to go out and have have a a team of nurses summarize it maybe we do but that's you know <laughs> it costs a lot of money what, what what's a what are some solutions that you have available to that situation that can help break those records down and manage them in a way that the lawyer can actually make use of and the experts that are reviewing the cases yeah you hit on a, a really <laughs> wonderful product 
Am I able to share my screen here? If not, no worries. It, it, I it's can. a little easier to show it and if you're okay with that. Uh, I'll yeah. make it very quick, but just to show you is more is a lot easier. And I think seeing is believing um, in the product. Yeah, go ahead. You should be able to do it now. I appreciate that. Are you able to see my screen now? Yep. So I'm I'm gonna go very quickly through this, but this is our medical chronology and it hit on it's gonna I'm gonna hit on uh, your, what your points are here, Craig, but the price, and, and this is really straightforward, it's just 30 cents per page you sent us. So a thousand pages is $300 and we issue a payment receipt back so that you can allocate it back to the file if that's what you want to do with it. Um, it's a PDF. So you just open it in Adobe, no issues. You open the bookmarks here and you're up and running. And we deliver this within five business days or less. Part of it is using artificial intelligence. That's the start of it. For folks with a little bit more expertise, it's, it's not too complicated. We're using medical natural language processing, which is the fancy subset of AI term or machine learning term that says uh, the computer can read the text. And in this case, put things into smart groups for us or groupings. And that's what I'm going to show you here. And then before we deliver the actual product to you, we have our doctors on my team. I mentioned 70 doctors on our team, not necessarily going through it and saying, here's causation, here's damages. That would be our medical record review. They go very hand in hand, as you can see, but making mm -hmm. sure that the, the, the files flow and make medical sense from a, a flow. So all of this, again, done in less than five days. We're averaging really like two to three days. It's a really quick turnaround. And if you need something quicker, we really can get it done. We'll, and we'll certainly let you know. So our abstract, this is really, this is our timeline. And it should look familiar to any folks out there who have used this. Obviously, I redacted PHI and stuff like that. But it should say here, the doctor, what, you know, what, especially all that. And then here, just long and short, this patient was in a motor vehicle collision on 6-6-2019 and had all these issues. Okay, uh, let, let me get to the point here. So everything here is in a timeline. It's it's in this chronology. No no hidden fees, nothing else. There's no difference in time. The, everything you're seeing here with the hyperlinking is standard. Uh, you don't have to even let us know, hey, I want this, that. This is going to be standard. So that'll and go. So let's that, say that'll hyperlink to the particular page of the document. Then you're yeah, saying. exactly. So let me give you an example, Craig. So imaging is one that I really like going. I, I like seeing what the radiologist has to say. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great summary. This is basically summarizing pretty much the impression that the that's in the radiology report. These referrals and stuff. These are doctor's notes. But for imaging, I really like seeing what my radiologist is trying to say. And in real life, I would call them if I'm concerned, or you know, I would speak to my radiologist if I had questions here. But going to source document brings me right here. And I, every single one of these uh, items and and uh, entries, like this office visit, go to source document brings me right there. But what makes this more interesting? The document abstract. The AI isn't really all that intelligent. It's going to bring all comers. So everything you send us is going to have its all the entry, even if it's, you know, they're going to their, I, you know, their their uh, PCP, which has nothing to do with an accident because they're, you know, they they want to get worked up for something. You know, that'll be included there. But if you want to narrow down more specifically into items, we can go from a large timeline of ev all comers and narrow it down to, let's say, just an organ system. So this is our orthopedic, and uh, I'll move along here, Craig, because, you know, I, I don't want to lose uh, any okay. out there. But uh, oh, you're okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, but uh, I'll be done in a moment here. This is just to show now, this is a motor vehicle collision, so there's bony and soft tissue injuries. It, ultimately, it's in our ortho category here. And now I could see date of incident here and all the issues that come from there. 
But now let's say further, I'm hitting intervertebral disc degeneration here. Let's go down to, let's say, knee symptoms. It doesn't really matter. But uh, now let's say I say, okay, I, I get what's going on from an orthopedic perspective. Now let me look at how is the patient's knee problems changed from the date of incident to date of maximal improvement or, or wherever they are in the scheme of their uh, care. And now all I care about is the knee pain. I'm going to just that category here, which is what I'm showing you here. And starting at the date of the incident, I can see how the patient progressed, how they did. And as always, I can always hit go to source document here. So this now, again, goes from like a large timeline, all comers, which is a wonderful start to just the injuries you're looking for, but organ system based to the actual issues itself. And every diagnosis you can do that for. Final little bit for our friends who do MedMal after all we spoke about, you could trend labs and, and vitals, vitals in this case pretty easily, or if your PI or products case has something to do with vitals, sometimes it does, it's all there, but providers, this will be helpful for everyone. If you want to see a specific doctor and just their notes, or you want to just go to the ortho or the gynecologist, whatever it is, you can find them here. Um, medications will be all alphabetized in one place. If I click the date here, I, I won't do it, but it'll hyperlink me right to where it's mentioning it. So every one of these are hyperlinks, all pretty cool there. Lab results, if you know your case is important and you want to trend, let's say a white count, that's a popular one for an infection or H and H, or let's say you want to see, well, how bad is my patient's glucose management? They're diabetic and that's part of the case. And I want to see if uh, maybe they passed out behind the wheel because, you know, their glucose was poorly managed and they're a bad diabetic. I could go to glucose management and, and that's all here. It turns out there's only one lab here. I forgot about that. But in any case, every lab that's been done and that our AI can detect is going to collate that there. And then there's an index here. Uh, last little bit on this. Uh, for folks who are interested, please, you know, give me a ring. Uh, happy to discuss more. When we deliver the first, I'd say two, three, I always recommend have my doctors, whether it's me or one of my colleagues, walk you through in your actual case, everything we see, because it is really easy to use, but it is a newer technology. And just like anything that's newer to attorneys or anyone else in the world, we want to make it easy for our clients to say, oh, this is a good fit for me. Um, I just need to adapt slightly in this regard to use your timeline. So we're, we're more than happy to demo every single one we present to you, but usually after one or two attorneys are like, I get the picture. I'm good. Uh, I know how to use the product. So this hopefully that PDF. helped and uh, was, uh, you know, Craig, that came right to my mind. I think that's what you're referring to, but you, you may not have been. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm already in, intrigued with that. And, and I assume the, the, I mean, what always happens is you get records, you get a summarize, and then you get new records, updated right. records. You can got to incorporate that in, I assume the system can can accommodate new records and all that. Absolutely. Very common to say, you know, exactly that scenario. Records are always coming in in the course of a case that's going two, three years, of course. Just resend it. It's not 30, per, 30 cents per page for the files we've already put in. It's just the 30 cents per additional record you've sent. The AI can also detect duplicates. So that's not to say, and I want to be clear because we get this question and uh, and it's a totally reasonable one, not duplicates like me being a lazy doctor, my progress note from Monday to Tuesday being exactly the same. It, it, that's a different date. It would detect it. And rightfully so. It will say this is a different note. But I mean, true duplicates, uh, you don't have to go through like an identical document, the same date, same provider. It's just in a different is, you know, sometimes you get duplicates of stuff, but RAI will get rid of that. So you're, you're not paying for that, of course. And that's 30 cents a page, you said? Yeah. When you get on the order of 
50,000 pages plus, it, it, we could start bundling and getting it down. But just for anyone off the street, 30 cents per page, no questions asked. We'll, we'll get it to you within five business days or less. And do the do the records need to be uh, like text searchable or does that do it on your end or how does that work? Yeah, we do it on our end. Nothing you need to do. It's really simple. I would set you up with a login to our, our cloud system, which is protected and confidential, encrypted drag and drop the files it'll say these are your duplicates do you want to get rid of it of course you can say yeah i don't want duplicates here and then it'll ask you to put in your credit card and you're off and running it'll issue a payment receipt and does the file include the the body of actual records so like um i don't know if it's a real big file or if it links to someone else but you know like if i go to a deposition and i want to bring the summary and i want to be able to pull up the actual record that'll all be part of it then that's right. And the way it works. So let's say you sent us a, the 1000 pages, yeah. we're going to send you a PDF that's like 3000 pages. That's not to make your life harder. It's how we link to various things. So you're going to have the 1000 pages that you yeah. sent to me. Yeah. The timeline will be more like that abstract, probably two, three pages. And that's really when you say like, how much are you condensing it? That's the answer. We're condensing yeah. it better than just about anyone just because of the technology we're using. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh yeah, from from there, uh, it it's pretty pretty straightforward from from there of you know, how it all works. Well, I know I'm interested, and I'm sure other people will be interested too. So maybe I will chat with you this week. Maybe I'll uh, give my uh, paralegal a late uh, Christmas present and <laughs> send you ten thousand records. Do her a favor. Yeah, absolutely. And this, I'm saying this out loud for for everyone. Bring your paralegal on, bring staff. These are questions, like while we do our demo, I want to answer everyone's questions and concerns. And look, I, I don't dilute myself into thinking this is the perfect solution for everyone. But I think for most cases, it's it's a wonderful, great solution that will not miss anything. Is You have doctors doing quality control and it's really easy to use and get you stuff really at your fingertips. So that's my little pitch there. Yeah, I mean, I know for me, everyone uses a little different, like some lawyers, they just they never look at the actual record themselves, they rely heavily on the summary. And if the summary has got a mistake, they're going to have a mistake. I, I really look at summaries as a way to quickly find what I want and to be able to, like I said, be able to hyperlink on a particular record, go to that, go to the film, study the film myself or what the report, not the film, um, <laughs> is a huge, is a huge benefit. So I'm really excited. I'm definitely interested. <laughs> That's awesome, Greg. Yeah, and thanks for allowing me to to present this. This has been a, uh, uh you know, not to oversay, but one of our most popular products amongst and, and as well as Expert Radar, which is the due diligence on opposing experts. Those are like catching on wildfire, and it's both AI based, uh, and not again, not the scary kind. So people are really gravitating towards it, and it. But most importantly not just that it's AI based, it presents real life solutions for our clients. And, and that's really why it's catching on. But the, we, I think we draw people in with the fancy terms and then, but the end result and then staying with us is that it's a great product that is very user-friendly. Okay. Anything else, Ross? That's it, Craig. I want to thank you again. I had a blast now. It's, it's already an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, I always have fun chatting with you and I, I, I hope the audience uh, had some fun with it too. Yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. I'll link to your your information below. I'll I'll link to our past episode, but uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. So thanks for thanks for coming along and sharing, and thanks thank you everyone for listening. And until next time, everyone, have a good one.
take back the host here.